How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me slash growth. That's hbs.me slash growth. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend, Frank Madden. Frank and I haven't been able to talk in a little while. Um, obviously, I, I've had some things going on in my life that have, have kept me from recording, but that's okay because we are we are back into the swing of things. It is draft workout time of the season. It is that time of the year where pretty much every day you can check the Bucks Twitter around, I don't even know, 10 o'clock, somewhere in there, and see six brand new prospects in town. And sometimes they are guys, uh, like we discussed a little bit last week, that are maybe D-League fodder. Um, and other times they are guys that could be legitimate first-rounders. And sometimes they're guys that have local ties, like Caden Reinhardt of Marquette or uh, Nigel Hayes from Wisconsin, So or Jawan Johnson from Marquette as well. So there's, there's always, I, I think, I always kind of enjoy this time of year because you can – you never know what's going to happen at the start of the day. Um, and you just kind of have to, at least from my perspective, I'm preparing all the time for different prospects to come in and who I'm going to see and what questions I might want to ask and what, what I might want to learn by the end of the day. But I don't know what that's going to be for each day. So there's always something new and exciting going on. And uh, that that's kind of the spot that we're in. But uh, before we get to draft prospect stuff, draft workout stuff, the NBA draft lottery was tonight. We are recording here on Tuesday night uh, after an absolute blowout from uh, the Warriors against the Spurs in Game 2, which makes me sad, which makes me believe that that series is going to be a sweep, and I'm just not sure I can really handle eight total conference finals games on each side. Um, so that makes me sad. But draft lottery was tonight, and Frank, I felt very strange not – having the Bucks in the NBA draft lottery. Yeah, it was weird. I think that that was a sentiment that was really prevalent for a lot of us. Um, but it's also not really that unusual. I mean, as much as the Bucks have not been great over the years, um, two years ago, they were picking in the exact same spot, number 17. Uh, and obviously they've been, you know, in and out of the playoffs and, and thus out of the lottery, um, you know, pretty regularly over the past decade. So not an entirely, uh, you know, new place to be. Obviously, you, you know, wish you, on some level that you were even better than the Bucks were this year and that, you know, maybe if that meant your pick was even lower, hey, that's just the way it goes. Um, but obviously the Bucks sort of still in that intermediate spot where, you know, they're, they're an up-and-coming pretty solid team, but, um, you know, outside the lottery, but, but not too far down uh, in the first round. So at number 17, um, yeah, definitely interesting to see the lottery shake out the way it did. And um, I, I don't know, I mean, I, I was a little torn. First off, I felt very strange because without, you know, a real horse in the lottery, I, I was not very prepared. I did not have my, like, you know, cheat sheet of, well, not even <laughs> cheat sheet, but just, like, the order that it was supposed to go yeah. in. And I'm always amazed that, you know, they show the – they'll show, like, the, the people – uh, who who are representing each team sort of as they re- reveal the um, the picks, but um, I didn't have like my sheet of like the the full order. And there's like often that like short delay between when a team doesn't show up when it's supposed to, meaning they've jumped up into the top three, and people trying to figure out what that means. <laughs> and you know, a lot of times on the broadcast, they don't even really like communicate it. And especially with um, you know the the Sacramento, you know Sacramento having potentially you know two picks, which they ended up with two picks, but also having the pick swap with the Sixers. I mean, there yeah. were all these sort of different variants that um, you you know if you didn't know what was going on, you could have easily been really confused. Like, you know why you know why there was a pick swap, but the Kings I think ended up picking higher with their better pick than they you know would have because the 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 Sixers were were higher than them it was, it was just a weird a very weird um draft to try to follow but um I think clearly the the big takeaway is obviously 
you know, the, the you know, like, and again, probably not anything surprising to say that the big winners were the top two teams in the draft lottery. Yeah. Um, but certainly with the Celtics coming out number one pick as, you know, maybe not as expected because again, they only had a 25% chance, even though they had the most ping pong ball combinations of any team, uh, with that, uh, you know, deal from, from the nets. But, um, but certainly they, they can feel pretty excited about having a chance to add, um, either a Markel Fultz or who knows, maybe Lonzo ball. I don't know. Seems like Fultz is the guy, but, um, just a tremendous trade piece as well. Right. I mean, I think that's the most kind of maybe the most fun part of this is that, um, the Celtics maybe more than, um, any other team in recent memory and i say that knowing that you know the Cavs ultimately did trade andrew wiggins but on draft night you know nobody at that point felt strongly that lebron james was coming back to cleveland there was not a sense that the Cavs were going to trade that pick at that point so yeah. interesting going into the draft knowing that the celtics may be using this pick um to to acquire you know who knows jimmy butler or paul george whatever it might be and i think that adds an extra layer of intrigue and certainly the lakers dodging a huge bullet i mean i think they're clearly the big winners of tonight because if they had um what outside the top three i guess um the sixers would have gotten their pick and um because of some of the pick protections and because you can't lose um picks in consecutive years um they would have lost their 2019 first rounder as well um as part of a different deal so um instead the sixers i mean Sixer fans, they only got one pick. They didn't get one of the top two picks. So in a lot of ways, it was disappointing for them. But don't feel bad for the Sixers. They've got the the unprotected Laker pick next year now. And let's be honest, I don't think the Lakers are going to be world beaters next year. And they also have, I think, an unprotected 2019 Kings pick. So the Sixers maybe were losers on the night, especially when you saw that the uh, Kings pick had dumped up into the top three. But on the flip side... Um, they they should be fine uh, overall as long as Joel Embiid's uh, uh, you know feet and knees uh, hold up. So I think the top three was probably the most intriguing place for me. But I don't know what what did you think? What were you sort of thinking as you saw those those picks get counted down? Well, I, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. That in my head it was like, oh man, if things fall right for the Sixers, they could have one and four i think tonight or like two and four or something like like they could get that fourth pick if if the lakers get bumped out of the top three so obviously that's kind of where my head went but at the same time that went back to uh i mean it's a deal that's been rehashed how many times for for the deal the bucks made where uh the brandon knight deal where they take back mcw and they could have had that Lakers pick that you're referring to and whether that would have conferred this year, last year, next year, whenever it was, it, it, to me it was just interesting that I, I think throughout this I've I, – I guess this is something that I've been fascinated with as of late that a lot of times people ask like, now why would someone do something like that? And then – you'll give them the the possible reasoning behind why someone would do it. And then they'll say, well, that's stupid. And then in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, so you didn't really want to know why would someone do something like that? You just wanted to say it's stupid. And I think with, with the Bucks pick and whether or not the Bucks should have taken that pick or what, whether or not they should have taken MCW or whatever it may be, in my head, it was always, well, why would the Bucks do that? And I thought the the reasoning was pretty easy to see that, they just traded Brandon Knight, a guy that was helping them win, and they probably didn't feel like they could take just a pick back and not know when that pick would confer or would would actually come to them. And they they just couldn't handle that. They just couldn't handle that uncertain uncertainty, especially with kind of I think the arena was still up in the air and stuff, and they just couldn't make a move like that. And again, my my brain went back to it and started to think, oh man, how, how nice would an unprotected Lakers pick be next year? But then I also thought like, well, okay, well then Tony Snell's not on the roster. And, and like you just keep going through every single move that could have been a part of that trade or was a part of that trade. And I don't know, it's, it's just always interesting. I think anytime you see a part of a former deal be involved in some way or you see it highlight a night of moves or a night of action, you're thinking in your head like, what if this would have felt differently? And I, I found myself doing it again, but I, I thought tonight that pick not actually going 
uh, to the Sixers kind of showed the reason why. Like, they couldn't handle that uncertainty. And maybe they could have, but they just weren't willing to as an organization. And the reasoning behind not taking that pick was very obvious. So, I don't know. My mind went there. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I, I, I have, as a fan, been hoping that that pick would not convey each of these past couple yeah. of years just because – I, I don't want to have to face the reality of like, <laughs> oh man, so that that is the pick the Bucks could have had. That yep. is the player, you know, or players that the Bucks could have drafted had they, you know, basically told the the Suns, you know what, um, forget the Sixers and don't even bother bringing them into this trade. Um, you know, we don't want Michael Carter Williams. Just give us give us the that pick instead. And um, obviously, you know, from from an asset, you know, s- sort of just objective standpoint. Um, you know, especially the way that that Brandon Knight and and Michael Carter Williams have been just, you know, tire fires over the past year in particular. Um, you know, clearly the the that pick, no matter how far in the future you push it, um, you know, has the has the highest objective value. And, and I was going to say, as as Ben Thompson, when Ben was on, you know, months ago, um, you know, set, <coughs> excuse me, with with a straight face, you know, Ben pointed out, objectively again it's a bad deal right you would have been you know basketball wise the the value would have been in that pick and i think that was true you know even at the time there was a lot of people thought that that was the case but as you said waiting on that and um especially at that point you know not having an arena deal lined up kind of crazy to think how recently the bucks (laughs) you know effectively still only a couple years ago the bucks were were trying to get that arena deal lined up but you know that was a really important season in terms of kind of turning around some of the feel about the team and and going from the worst season in in franchise history to a team that was suddenly you know creating good vibes and um obviously they they didn't have to trade brandon knight they could have kept them yep. they could have just sort of run it out and sort of figured out what to do um but you know they wanted to make a move and certainly you know brandon knight's performance since then has not suggested that getting wanting to get rid of him was in any way a bad, a bad idea um but obviously, you know, they they gambled with MCW. It didn't work out. By the same token, you know, I think they did need to get a player that could, you yeah. know, keep them in some type of competitive situation. And you know, would have been nice to if you didn't have that kind of pressure. But um, obviously, we can legislate that all we want. Um, so, and we'll have to wait. We'll have to wait one more year before we figure out where that pick ultimately ends up. So, my good friend Dan Schaefer of Milwaukee Business Journal and I were talking a little bit tonight, and he said one thing I was thinking about tonight was of the three teams that made that deal, if you let them do it again today, like after the lottery tonight, the Bucks are the only ones that make that deal again, right? Wait, why, why do you think the Sixers don't do it? Well, Sam Hinkie doesn't have a job right now. Yeah, but keeping MCW doesn't doesn't keep doesn't retain his job does it i mean i don't know it might like it might have not made everyone think like oh he's just in it for the prospects and uh all the picks and all that like i think that like that was kind of where all of that started so i do i would honestly wonder knowing what he knows now that people may not take so kindly um to trying to pile up picks and do all that if he would do it i I mean it's it probably speaks more to whether or not sam hinkey would do everything that he did again knowing that he was going to lose his job doing what he did. Uh, but I, I, when he said that, I kind of thought, hmm, I do wonder if everyone would make that deal again. Well, I will say this. Every Sixer fan that I'm aware of would gladly make it again. Um, but it is an interesting wrinkle, obviously, because rightly or wrongly, um, you know, the, the Sixers and, and Sam Hinkie were not able to, you know, as, as much as I think the – uh, think everything that's happened sort of since Hinky has left has in many ways validated a lot of the, mm-hmm. the approach that he took. Um, the flip side, obviously, is that you know the politics of it and and the you know the fact that it's hard as as a you know franchise to just continue to lose games and face pressure both from some elements of the fan base as well as you know the league more broadly. Um, it's uh, it, you know, it's it's a lot easier to to say you're gonna tank and and just pick up you know high draft picks <laughs> than than it is to actually do it right and for sure and heck the first year that that the the, the Sixers tank the Bucks are even worse than them right that's the irony yeah um but you know it's it's interesting if if Embiid stays healthy you know 
um, the Sixers may ultimately come out on the, the better side of, uh, of, of their strategy than, than the Bucks, who obviously, you know, in the first year, um, you know, have, have not tried to tank. And, um, you know, ironically, I think we've brought it up. You know, the irony is the, the Sixers could have Giannis and Embiid, at least in theory, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, depend, obviously, many things, things could always change, but but they passed on Giannis and they took Embiid, and the Bucks passed on Embiid and they took Giannis. So it's yeah, it's interesting how those teams, uh, you know, can can look in sort of these alternate universes and and think about what might have been. But um, certainly, I think both teams, if uh, if they can stay healthy and and keep developing their young players, hopefully both teams can can certainly be players moving forward. And obviously, we'll see how quickly both teams can continue to improve. Yeah, so so that was kind of where my mind went, and like I said, it, it just went into a, a bunch of different hypothetical thoughts uh, about what could have been for any of those teams that that were in the lottery, and obviously what it all could have meant uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks as well. So um, I, I think that's about it for my lottery thoughts. Uh, other than I'm happy that the T Wolves didn't somehow get a top pick again uh, again I know they traded for Wiggins but still that the, they didn't find their way um, into the top three that probably made me happy um, maybe the Knicks not getting lucky made me happy as well just because I don't know if they deserve nice things um, so Bill any, Jackson does not deserve nice things that's for sure correct Knicks fans might and I know uh, our friend uh, Jared Dubbin was saying that kind of most of the night that like I deserve this. I've been through so much as a Knicks fan. I deserve nice things. I don't care if Phil doesn't deserve it. I don't care if the organization doesn't deserve it. I don't care if uh, Dolan doesn't deserve it. I deserve it. And I think there's some legitimacy to that uh, feeling and thought process, but I don't really feel that bad. Um, any other lottery thoughts, Frank? And if not, then we can move on to draft workouts, combine stuff, because uh, all that has happened since the last time we talked. Yeah, let's dig into it. And we can, um, I'll, I'm going to bring up just some of the, um, some of the posts, some are sort of bridging this. I think some of the post lottery immediate um, mock drafts uh, that are out there are certainly, you know, not that, not that they necessarily reflect uh, a whole ton of, of sort of intel or information. Um, but, you know, always interesting. The draft express, uh, draft express in their first post lottery mock they have uh jarrett allen the center from freshman he has a uh haircut straight from like a 70s buddy cop show um <laughs> it's not just like an afro it's like an afro that just looks like a really sort of like it's like he didn't really put that much thought into it it was just like oh it's 1974 and i'm just gonna not cut my hair um <laughs> He, he really does look like he said a time machine, but um, he's a 7'5 wingspan center. Interesting player. Um, Texas pretty disappointing last year. I can vouch for that since I live in Austin, Texas. Um, but he's an interesting player, a freshman. Um, they have him coming, going ahead of uh, John Collins, Justin Patton, Ivan Rabb, uh, and, and others, including Terrence Ferguson. And I think Chad Ford's first mock, I believe, had them taking Terrence Ferguson. Uh, the uh, 19-year-old swingman played in Australia last year after, uh, I guess, not qualifying academically. I think he was going to go to Arizona, but we talked about him as a uh, potential uh, Terrence Ross type shoot, you know, three and D type guy. And it felt really good because I was listening to, um, I've been listening to a bunch of podcasts, and I, and I always listen to. Uh, Just wait, give uh, give, give podcast recommendations here. Like that's a that's a thing. Yeah. I know people have tweeted out and said like, who are guys that you trust? So go ahead and do that right now. Yeah, so Sam Vecini, um, who uh, we've we've interviewed and and had on Brew Hoop and other places, um, Sam's got a podcast. So he writes uh, for various places, including Vice and other places. But um, but he has a, a pod. He has a great podcast name. It's Game Theory. Yeah, uh, and he was talking to our our other buddy Ricky O'Donnell from SB Nation, and uh, and they they made the uh, Terrence Ross comp for for Terrence Ferguson as well. So I felt kind of kind of smart because yeah. I think when I made that comp, I like had seen like two minutes of, of footage of Terrence <laughs> Ferguson and when, when I made it, but, um, but yeah, they actually know way more than I do about these guys. But, um, but yeah, so interesting to see, uh, to see that thrown out there. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so game theory is a good one. Um, uh, Cole Zwicker, who I re- retweet a lot. He has a pod with a couple of other guys, um, called what's on draft. 
Um, Cole, I think, was on Sam's podcast a while ago, and I thought that was an interesting one. Um, and then uh, Kevin O'Connor and Jonathan Sharks, also um, good dudes. Jonathan was on our podcast last year, and I was actually I was messaging with with Kevin about coming on at some point, um, hopefully this summer. So we'll see. He's he's very busy with you know. Uh, covering this whole NBA thing and the draft for the ringer, but we'll see if we can get Kevin on at some point. Um, but they, uh, they also have a, a new podcast called high upside. That's part of the our ringer NBA uh, podcast sort of rotation. And they also just released their annual draft guide. And this is basically building on Kevin's. Um, he used to always put out a draft guide that he worked on um, on his own. And now uh, it's with him and Sharks and Danny it's Chow. It's crazy. So. There's so many different paths that like you can go down. Like you, If you really want to get lost in the draft, just go to the ringer's guide and just start clicking. And you will just find everything you want to know about prospects as you just continue to dive deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole. Yeah. And one one last thing about on before we kind of get into more of the Bucks Bucks centric view of this, but I have to say it's so interesting. Boston at number one is so interesting because obviously the assumption is they probably take Fultz um, if they don't trade it, uh, and it's just so interesting because and, and Bill Simmons has alluded to this as well, which I find so interesting. You know, Isaiah Thomas is going to be a free agent, I guess, next summer, not this summer, <laughs> and you know the idea of I think he'll be about thirty at that point, and you know this idea of um, you know the, the 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 massive amount that that he could get paid, uh, and I forget what it, I for, I guess it would probably be. I mean, he'll be coming off an, an All NBA season. I guess he would likely be you know eligible for this this super max. I think, um, or maybe yeah. But anyway, he he'd be eligible for you know something on the order of like thirty five to forty million a year on average. And so this whole idea of you know do you commit that kind of massive money to um, a 30 year old five, nine guy, um, <laughs> when, you know, potentially you're going to be drafting, uh, a, you know, again, a guy who, who projects to be a franchise point guard and a, in a Fultz type guy, or who knows? I don't think that, I don't think they're going to take Lonzo ball with the lake. I it just, it's like, no, like yeah, Lonzo yeah. needs to go to LA. That just makes sense. Um, but I think that sets up like a really interesting sort of subplot there. Like, do they kind of dare put like a huge chip on Isaiah's shoulder by, drafting his replacement even though Fultz is like a bigger point guard so you could probably play together but you know come on you do, you're not drafting Markel Fultz to play off ball while Isaiah Thomas takes you know all the shots right I mean it's, it's kind of an interesting situation and then the flip side is you know obviously then everyone just assumes the Lakers take Lonzo um, and then at three I mean the Sixers needed a point guard right that's been like the obvious yep. hole in their roster and they need shooters as well, um, but it puts them in such an interesting spot because a lot of people have, you know, guessed that a guy like um, like Josh Jackson from Kansas, who's you know this kind of do it all, but his shooting is sketchy um, type guy, a small probably a small forward more, more likely than anything. Um, and so, you know, would you pick a Josh Jackson when you've got Ben Simmons and Dario Saric, who are also, you know. I mean, I think Simmons and Sharch are probably more fours in the modern NBA defensively. Um, but Sharch can shoot a, a little bit. Simmons probably can't shoot. Josh Jackson hit threes at a decent clip last year, but he's a bad free throw shooter. Nah, kind Some of sketchy flags. on the jump shot side. Yeah, so, so it's just so interesting because, like, the three spot just looks so much worse than the one or two spot for Philly. <laughs> Um, and so I think that just it just makes everything just so interesting. So anyway, that that I I'll, I'll stop there. We can talk more about that some other time. But. I was gonna say I would say that's how most people have the draft though, right? Like there's a definite tier with Fultz, maybe even above Ball, but Fultz and Ball uh, as the top two, and then what like Jackson, Tatum, Fox, and Monk, two through or three through six, and then Isaac Smith, Markkinen. Uh, so I think that would probably be maybe maybe Zach Collins slips into that too and then I think from there it just kind of opens up from 11 to 20-ish I would not be surprised by a number of, of guys going in there I don't think there's a solid 10 that I feel good about from 11 to 20. And um, yeah, it, it's a super interesting draft. And especially for the Sixers, like you said, um, who are kind of in that tough spot. And I'm 
I've, I've mentioned many times that I'm fascinated by the Bucks and their decisions this summer, and man, I am equally as fascinated by the Celtics and what they do going forward, because as, as great of a position as they're in, they're in the Eastern Conference Finals, they have the number one pick, they very well might have a top five pick next year again, um, because of just insanely bad trades. Uh, that the Nets made. So they may have another top five pick coming their way. So I don't, I, I mean, that I don't, I don't want to say they're in a bad spot, but man, there's just so many tough, so many tough decisions to make. Like you mentioned the Isaiah Thomas one, but then you also have to factor in that Avery Bradley is also a free agent next summer. And so is Marcus Smart and Bradley and IT are super tight. Um, he's been the guy that's kind of helped them get through all of this. And also Avery Bradley's a very good player. But then again, you have to figure out how much money you want to pay him. And is Fultz taking uh, some of Bradley's minutes, some of Marcus Smart's minutes? Does that matter? Obviously, I think you think Fultz is a better player than both of them. So go ahead and give it to him. But then are those guys upset? And how do they fit in? And how do they fit into bench roles? And then once you figure all of that out and you want to keep Isaiah Thomas and he works well with uh, Markel Fultz, do you still want to give him $30 million if he's going to be playing alongside Fultz? Like, that doesn't seem like a good idea. But then will the city of Boston totally revolt and burn down if you trade away or let IT walk? Like, oh, my God, there are so many decisions that the Celtics have to make. Um, and I, I, you, I, don't think you can, I don't think you can trade down. Like, I don't think there's enough there for you that you can trade out of the number one spot to move down to three or four and take Tatum or Jackson or whoever you believe in in that spot. And I don't know if the Bulls, if you want to trade that number one to the Bulls for Jimmy Butler and how, like, how that trade would work. And oh my God, the Celtics are totally fascinating to me. Um, And we'll see kind of what they do going forward. But yeah, they, they may be able to kind of swing the whole draft um, just because they are in kind of that good spot right now, but also the not as good spot where it's interesting and uh, they have a lot of tough decisions to make. So um, we will see there. Uh, Buck stuff, uh, the combine was obviously last Thursday and Friday. We didn't get to talk about anything there. Um, Again, I don't love to do this, but I I think – if you're doing your due diligence for the Milwaukee Bucks, you have to go on wingspan watch. I just think you do because um, that's that's pretty much what they're about. The, they're about having dudes with long arms and kind of seeing where those guys can fit in in this positionless uh, team that they're trying to create and how they're trying to put this all together. And I guess for me, one of the ones that I thought stood out was Donovan Mitchell. Um, he measures at a 6'10 wingspan. He's just 6'3". Um, he's kind of that shooting guard type, and I think some people imagine him as a point guard. I thought that was a significant measurement, and I believe the the Draft Express mock and, and a couple other mocks that I saw before the Combine had him around 20, and now Draft Express has him at 12 to the Pistons. And I know you mentioned Cole Zwicker before. He said he would probably be shocked if Mitchell would fall to 17, but if he would fall to 17, that that might be a guy the Bucks were looking at. Um, I thought that was a, a pretty significant measurement. I had talked a little bit about uh, Jawan Evans last time. Uh, he measures at sub six foot, um, but his wingspan is six five and a half. So even though he is a little bit on the shorter side, he does have those long arms. Um, I thought again, obviously, uh, seen some of these other taller wingspanny kind of guys, uh, Looking at Ike Anig Bogu, uh, he has a seven-six wingspan. Like that is that is Milwaukee Bucks team all length. That is that is very much what they're about. Um, and then the the Jonathan is it Gene? I, I I'm not sure how to pronounce that one, but Jonathan. I, yeah, I think I, I think I think I may have heard somebody say like Jean, like more of a French oh John. Oh, that would make sense, Jonathan Jean. But like. But we're still so early in the process that, like, even people who know what they're talking about <laughs> might just be completely mispronouncing names. So I don't know. He's he's you know French speaking, so I feel like Jean would be would be not a horrible guess. But yeah, so like Jonathan seven six and a half inch wingspan, um, huge wingspan. 
I know Jonathan Gavoni from Draft Express was tweeting out uh, some uh, some video of him at the end of last week, I believe it was, maybe over the weekend, and I retweeted that out. And he seemed to have a pretty repeatable stroke, um, seemed to have a little bit of range. Um, and, well, if one thon maker was good, maybe maybe two thon makers is better. I don't, I don't know. Um, so I was, again, kind of looking at all those – those wingspans and guys that stood out to me, those were those were some of the guys. Uh, Justin ba- Patton, I thought measured well as as well. Seven three wingspan, not as freaky, but but still so- solid. And like you said, Jared Allen was a guy that people have talked about. Seven five wingspan as well. So um, those were some of the just measurements that stood out to me. Um, guys that may fit some of the Bucks' needs that may still be around when the Bucks are picking at seventeen. Yeah, some and someone asked me on Twitter, you know, oh, who who can you picture the Bucks taking? And you know, my my first reaction is similar to what to what you just did. You know, look for guys. You know, if, if we're going from a demographic standpoint, you know, looking at guys that uh, w- what traits have often been things the Bucks look for in previous picks. Uh, certainly, athleticism, length, uh, youth. Um, those are yeah. are have often been things that you know on paper the Bucks. Uh, have have sought going for for you know younger less experienced guys who who have you know uh, unique physical tools and um, you know generally good character guys as well. Um, the, that seems to be kind of the the demo that the Bucks seem to go for, and uh, and obviously I think you named a bunch of guys that that might fit that bill uh, in terms of the the current you know prospects that that might be in that range and. Um, yeah, I mean, just some like quick comments on some of these. I mean, we, we talked about OG Ananobu, actually yeah. OG Ananobi, um, in our previous pod. It does seem like he's probably not the type of guy who's going to last um, to to the middle of the first round. Like he'll probably go a little bit ahead of that. I gotta but say, I, I'm I kind know. of surprised by it. Like, I, I guess it's just been in like the last month or so that it seemed like he's a a for sure lottery guy. But it seemed like before this, he was not viewed that same way like but at the start of the season he was definitely a lottery guy then he has the injury and I I gotta wonder if medicals are coming back and he appears to have the strength that he needs Um, but I I don't know it's been weird and maybe it's been kind of people running uh, letting their imaginations run wild a little bit with all the different positions that he can play and he tested out really strong and and with the long wingspan at 7-2 I don't know it's just been interesting to see him become kind of a a lottery lock and most mocks um so i wonder if that is kind of how it'll go or if he could be a, a faller on draft night yeah for sure i mean he's interesting i mean i think I, i'm not sure anybody has necessarily good um medical data on any of these guys at this point you know a lot of guys would have gone through um medical testing in chicago so so now maybe that that information might be seeping out to teams and then once guys start doing them the the workouts then then teams will have a chance to kind of put them under the microscope but i think going into chicago i think it was you know mostly just guessing game on on some of these guys like uh like ananobi and and a guy like harry giles as well another long-limbed guy who um is young was you know uh, one of the if not in some cases you know the highest rated uh, high school guy coming out of that draft class but but also had or sorry that high school class but also had um, multiple knee injuries uh, including both ACLs um, had another procedure going into last season and then missed the start of the season and never really um, kind of carved out a, a big niche uh, at Duke but again pedigree guy I mean he's a guy that has long been on the radar as, as a top top prospect a big guy with you know unique physical tools and um you know we'll be interested to see kind of where he he stacks up and um yeah uh, i think i think i think i saw that the bucks were interested in him but did not interview him at the combine i believe he's an excel sports guy so as we know the bucks usually bring get to bring in excel guys if they want to yeah. uh maker another example of that um so we'll see if harry giles is a guy that, that maybe also uh, is on the bucks radar um i'm glad you mentioned mitchell mitchell was a guy i was i, I was curious in but it was interesting because it did seem like the mocks quickly took him out of the bucks range yeah. um wingspan certainly was impressive you know he he measured well athletically in chicago um and just kind of looking at his stats i mean you know, he's one of these guys, and I've heard kind of comparisons to, I think, I forget who compared him to this, but like Victor Oladipo was one guy that he's been compared to, you know, kind of an athletic, not super tall, but pretty long um, type athlete, uh, has some shooting range, not like a 
knockdown shooter, but definitely has some skill there. Um, you know, is has enough playmaking that you know you might optimistically wonder if he can run the offense a, a little bit, but you know, not a guy you'd look at and say is like a going to be a, a true point guard either. Um, but an interesting player. I mean, a sophomore, so I mean, he's not super young, um, but took a good volume of threes: thirty-five percent from three, eighty-one percent from the line. Um, short of three assists a game, that's not great, but 1.6 turnovers. So again, you know, a lot of these young guys who who touch the ball a lot, you know, turn it over a lot more than that. And 2.1 steals, 0.5 blocks, um, pretty good block and steal numbers for uh, for a wing as well. And I think when you just watch the film, he just seems I don't know. I mean, I, have to, I, I wish I had stats. I don't have any stats on off the dribble or spot up, uh, um, but it seemed like a guy that that looked pretty comfortable doing either of those. Um, and and you know, not necessarily, I don't know if he was as athletic as his, you know, 40.5 inch vert. I don't know if he was as athletic as, as those numbers suggest. Um, not sure if he's as functionally athletic as, as maybe the, the testing data suggests, but, um, certainly a guy who, 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 you know, is able to use his athleticism, gets to the hoop, um, and, and can, you know, throw down off two feet, uh, from time to time, um, in impressive fashion. So he, he, I think is a guy that, that I find interesting, but, you know, again, um, We'll see. I mean, it's early in the process, but you know, maybe a guy like that. Who knows? Maybe he's already potentially going to be be out of range. And um, I don't know any other. I don't know. I mean, I think I agree mostly with with the guys you mentioned. I think Anubogu is really interesting. The uh, center from from UCLA, a guy reminds me a little bit, um, at least in terms of like sort of his. Not necessarily like everything is similar, but kind of like Deontay Davis in the sense that he's. Um, uh, you know, a good pedigree freshman big man played on a good team, didn't play a ton, um, was pretty productive in his minutes. Is basically, you know, like a rim runner, defensive type guy, um, but has like kind of like some unique tools that just tend to project well. And and Anabogu's bigger than than Davis in terms of like weight. I think he was up over 250, I think, or around 250 at the combine. So. Um, you know, a guy who's not even 19 and already has just like a massive body and a massive frame, um, where if he gets any, you know, if he develops any skill around that, um, you know, he could be a really valuable two-way piece. And kind of, I mean, he's bigger than Tristan Thompson was, but I don't know. Watching some of the, and by the way, I always like to say tape makes me feel like I'm more of a draft insider. <laughs> I'm watching, I'm watching film, I'm watching tape. You know, like I got my old VHS tape <laughs> machine or something like that. Um, you no, were out filming like, these games yourself, like you're really yeah, on the exactly. road grinding. Exactly, exactly. Got my VHS tape. I'm cutting together film. Um, <laughs> very analog. Uh, no, but uh, I was watching. You know, his his, his some YouTube stuff on him, and um, just seems like kind of you know, has some potential there as like a just big bodied motor type guy. Um, and that, that's always interesting, but again, it's just so tough. Cause it's like, you look at the bucks and you know, the Greg Monroe potential departure, notwithstanding, it, it is a little bit frustrating when you look at where the bucks have, have needs, you know, primarily in the backcourt. And then I think, Oh man, like is, 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 is a big man really going to be the, the direction that again, the sort of best player available, philosophy takes you yet again um but uh but i don't know be interesting to see and i think um i think it might have been i think it might have been ricky and sam talking on their podcast um just about i think i think one of them was talking that you know you can argue that 14 of the 20 best players in the draft are um are 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 big men and it's just sort of this interesting question of like you know given positional scarcity and the fact that you know the bucks are certainly not the only team that might have a preference to draft <laughs> a guard or a wing yeah. <laughs> from a neat perspective. Yeah. So when you overlay kind of, and I don't want to say just need because need implies, you know, sort of like, Oh, you're just trying to force, force guys in. But, but part of the need, I mean, there is sort of like a broader discussion here that I think speaks to the positional scarcity question. And, and we've talked a lot about how, you know, centers got so many centers got big deals last summer and now are guys that, you know, you couldn't give away on their contracts. Um, you know, we thought Miles Plumley was one of those guys, but um, a lot of other guys certainly could fit in that category. Mozgov is an example. I mean, Jan Mahimi, I mean, Bismack Biombo, a guy that like on, you know, some level, like, well, Bismack Biombo, he's an interesting player. Yeah. Um, but all these guys making, you know, 15 to 16, $17 million a year, I, 
geez, like, and they're all basically backups and not necessarily very productive backups, not necessarily guys you want to start. Um, you know, that, that's not, and, and that's, you know, again, then you look at the draft as well. These guys are obviously not going to get paid like that. They're going to be cheap, but, um, you know, in terms of, of where the league is trending and the value of shooting and, you know, John Hammond, when you were interviewing him at, uh, at the media availability last week, uh, talking about every team wanting to get more shooting. Right. And, and certainly the draft and there's still, you know, a scarcity of guys that you can look at and circle and, and say, you know, that guy's going to bring shooting, right? I mean, you go and it's look crazy. at the draft. It's crazy um, how few guys you actually feel confident in. Right. I mean, I mean, you look at you look at this draft. I mean, I think a, a number of the point guards, you know, like like um, I think Fultz, Ball, um, you know, uh, I, I think the number of these guys could be could be very solid shooters, right? But but guys that you project as real shooters. I mean, Malik Monk. Yep. Lori Markkinen, yep. interestingly, as, as a big guy, are, are two guys that kind of stand out. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, you have to go pretty far down. You know, Luke Kennard yep. um, getting buzz. I think I've seen some mocks all the way. I think Ford had him all the way up at 12, I think, um, which is interesting. We talked about him being a very un-Bucks pick. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, you kind of, like, keep going down the, the board, and it's just like, not a lot of guys that you know are are guys that you project as plus shooters and you know you kind of work your way down and a guy like terrence ferguson who we've talked about uh, um you know he he's shot well at times he i think hit six threes i think in the the hoop summit game a couple years ago um but he wasn't a great shooter in australia last year i think he was around 31 percent um you know but but just it's so interesting how as much as we know what skills are being valued it's not necessarily jumping off the page when you look at you know these really young players uh, c- coming into the draft, and, and obviously it's a skill that often de- takes a little while to develop, but it certainly doesn't make the the job of evaluating talent any easier. Yeah, it it is crazy too to think everyone is trying to find their small ball lineup. Like that is a thing teams are actively trying to find, it. and as we've watched these playoffs what is every team's first adjustment? Like, okay, we're getting beat. We got to do something with our personnel. The first thing every team has done pretty much this entire playoffs has been get smaller. And if you're trying to get smaller, well, that means you got to draft some small guys. You got to find small guys somewhere. But again, you don't want to sacrifice that they're as small as Isaiah Thomas. You don't want to sacrifice shooting. You don't want to sacrifice strength. So trying to find those guys that can help you create some sort of small ball lineup uh, but still keep shooting on the floor. And, man, it it is fascinating. And you mentioned Kennard going as high as as 12, and you see him in the teens, in the late teens, maybe in the 20s and other mocks. And I I just think he's a fascinating uh, a case study because I think he's about as close as you can get to a guaranteed shooter who's not also maybe a, an upper level talent like say a Malik Monk where okay he is going to be a shooter but he can also do some things off the dribble he can just also just flat out score with with Kennard it's okay this guy is going to definitely bring shooting and he's done a lot of other things at Duke obviously he scored almost 19 and a half uh, almost 20 points a game uh at at duke this year so he can put the ball in the basket but as far as guys that you know are going to bring shooting to you he's pretty much that only guy but he's got a shorter wingspan than his height and he might not have the best body and he might not have he might not be the most athletic and i don't know it's just just kind of fascinating to try to find those guys that are going to allow you to go smaller that are going to allow you to create good solid small ball lineups while not taking away shooting or or doing any of those other things so i don't know it, it it's going to be to me it's just, like you said it's a fascinating draft Four, 14 of the top 20 or so are bigs and this is a league that doesn't really need more bigs um it, I, i'm trying to think there hasn't been a playoff adjustment where it's like well we're gonna counter by going big i haven't seen that one yet uh so We'll just kind of have to see there. Um, let's go into more buck specific stuff. Uh, draft workouts are underway. I wouldn't say, I'm trying to think, 
in the days before today, I don't know if there was really anything notable about the draft workouts other than like local guys being there. I had mentioned Juwan Johnson and Caden Reinhardt from uh, Marquette being at a couple of these. But before today, did anyone really catch your eye? Uh, no. <laughs> okay, so mostly D-League guys, um, and that, that was kind of the same thing I did today when I first saw the list. I looked down it and saw, okay, Nigel Hayes. Um, I think Hayes can probably probably be a second rounder. Um, he, might, he might also go undrafted if teams are totally unconvinced that he can shoot, um, which I, I, with the way he looked this season with his jumper and his free throw in particular, as we always talk about, that's a great way to project whether or not a guy can be a good shooter. Um, that, that did not bode well for him. Um, so we'll see. Maybe he's a second rounder. But uh, to me, the, the guy that was really exciting today was Hamadou Diallo. Um, hopefully I got that one right. Um, but to me, he I couldn't help but think this guy checks off a number of the Bucks boxes. Um, just kind of profiling Bucks draftees since... John Hammond has been here. He's a guy that has, uh, I don't even know what you want to say, in an untraditional path to the NBA. Um, he's a guy that maybe had some question marks uh, about how he got here and what he did in the year bef- between finishing up high school and going to the league. Um, obviously, we've seen that with Brandon Jennings in the past. We saw that with Don Maker last year. Um, and Diallo is kind of in that same uh, realm in that same mold uh, in that he was in prep school then decided to enroll at Kentucky um, did not play a second at Kentucky um, and essentially it sounds like just kind of got to to play with the Kentucky players to practice against them and do all that but he could not play uh, so it I think Calipari joked that if he's a lottery player that there's nothing left for me to do here at Kentucky. Like if I, if I can make Diallo a lottery player, then I I've proven everything that I've ever needed to prove that I, I can't do anything more impressive than that. Which if you're a Bucks fan, that doesn't sound great. Uh, that, that Calipari would be bragging like, Oh wow, I got this guy to be a lottery player and he didn't deserve to be, but also kind of speaks to the type of guys that he can get at Kentucky and kind of what he can do. So uh, just a, a not traditional way of getting to the NBA. Super young. He will be, uh, I think he's 18 right now. He'll be 19 in the middle of July, maybe the end of July. Uh, so he'll be 19 at the start of this NBA season. Uh, 6'5 with a 6'11 wingspan, uh, 44.5 inch vertical. Um, one of the highest in the recorded history of the NBA Draft Combine. Uh, so, I don't know, young, super athletic, not super traditional way of getting in the NBA, which may scare some teams off, but the Bucks seem totally unafraid of. Uh, it it seems very Bucksy to me, if I can create a word to describe it. It seems very Bucksy. A lot of the things that I see uh, when I look at his bio and when, when you look at some of the film on him, uh, it seems very Bucksy. Yeah, it was funny when, when, you know, again, this question was posed about which guys could you see the Bucks taking. And, you know, among the wings, Diallo, as well as Ferguson, who, you know, again, also took kind of this unconventional route. He's, he's a year, I think Ferguson's about a year older, yeah. I want to say, than, than Diallo. Um, but took obviously a very unconventional route going to Australia, playing against men. Um, you know, wasn't a big, a big time player over there. Definitely, uh, took his lumps. Um, but I think showed a lot of people flashes of, of, you know, again, why he was a hot top prospect. Um, and Diallo is interesting. I mean, Ferguson, I think seems to project as more of a clear cut sort of three and D type guy. I think he's easier to peg sort of what kind of guy he would be. Um, Diallo is a bit more of a mystery for better or worse, I guess. Um, you know, if you look through draft express, they collect stats from like various, you know, pre-college sort of tournaments, whether it's international tournaments or, you know, EYBL, AU type stuff, um, high school stuff, things like that. And I mean, Diallo, you know, looking at sort of different numbers that have been collected from him, I mean, he has not shot three-pointers well at all. Uh, it's just sort of in his prep career. 
um, hasn't been a particularly impressive free throw shooter, which, you know, as you mentioned, Eric, you know, oftentimes is a um, an indicator of, of future uh, shooting success because, you know, typically you just have higher samples from free throws and, you know, it's just more of a controlled thing to sort of test out people's touch. And um, Diallo doesn't necessarily measure out very well there, but um, when, when you talk about measurables, as you said, um, that's where he jumps off the page and um, certainly it's an interesting situation because, you know, if he went to Kentucky and he was, you know, a seventh man and, you know, shot 20% from three, um, then it'd be interesting to see, well, where would he actually go in the draft? Is he even a first round pick? Um, even with all that athleticism, um, you know, I, I think, I think, I mean, and, and it's different players, but I, I couldn't help but think of, um, of Archie Goodwin, um, who, mm-hmm did play at Kentucky for a year, uh, was drafted. I forget where, um, but he was, he went to Phoenix and I think it maybe was a late first round pick, I think, and had like a really, had some flashes in summer league his first year or two. Um, but never developed a three point shot, never had sort of enough playmaking to, to make up for, you know, the fact that he wasn't a floor stretcher. And, you know, if you're a shooting guard who can't shoot threes, you're not really an NBA player, even if you're really athletic oftentimes. Yeah. Um, and so Diallo is just so interesting because it's just, you know, I don't know. I watched some video of him uh, playing as high schoolers. Like, I mean, I, 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 I am not a discriminating enough eye to tell if a guy, you know, dribble driving and dunking on, you know, six, four centers is, is really that indicative of, you yeah. know, what, what he's going to be in the pros. Um, but obviously he's, very athletic, very explosive. He's a top recruit. Um, you know, the fact that he's at Kentucky tells you uh, he's not a, you know, he's no schlub. But, um, but yeah, he's he, he is what you want to make of him, basically, right? And um, that that is something the Bucks have not been afraid of going after. Whether it was, you know, Jennings, a guy that was a trailblazer with going uh, to Italy uh, after his uh, high school career for a year and struggling really while he was there. Um, or, or certainly Thon Maker, you know, not even going that far, uh, not yeah. even going and playing in it professionally, and, and the Bucks willing to roll the dice on him as well. So, um, so he seems like a kind of like I would say he, you know, not knowing much about you know his actual game and whether he's actually is is good enough, right? I think there are, there are some things there you would say feel very Bucks like, um, but it's funny because. I mean, if you were sitting in the Bucks draft room, you know, or there, you know, the, the the control room there, and and got to hear what what these guys actually thought. I mean, who knows? They might look at Diallo and say, "This guy can't play." At this point, you know, yeah. like they, they they might sort of say, "Like, no way, this guy's a second rounder." Um, we don't know, right? And and I certainly am am uh, have not do not know enough about him to say otherwise, but he's here right he came to milwaukee and it sounded like from from reading your tweets today that um that there was mutual interest there that he uh, again he's he has not signed with an agent um so again he's not going to see 30 teams right now um and it seemed like you know maybe there there was some greater mutual interest there than just a passing interest in terms of both his interest in the bucks and the bucks interest in him yeah it's going to be fascinating with him because he has until the 24th to make that decision uh which will be by the time this is published a week from today and Matt Velasquez and I were talking about it a little bit today and we were trying to figure out how many workouts can you actually get in because he said today was his second workout with a team the first was with the Bulls and that was yesterday Um, and we kind of asked well is it tough to do back-to-back workouts like because uh, you're obviously trying to impress a team and I can't imagine you want tired legs going into this I can't imagine that you want to stack a bunch of them up but at the same time you also have to figure out is there teams that are actually interested in me is is there a way for me to go in the first round and looking at this the Bulls are a pick before the Bucks so they're at 16 the Bucks are at 17 I don't know if that's maybe the high side of his range right now that he thinks those could be uh, some of the teams that would be up near the top, but he's got seven more days to try to fit in workouts. And uh, I don't believe they limit the workouts, just that if you're in this kind of decision-making phase, you can only test out or you can only work out with one team one time. Uh, So 
realistically, if he wanted to do this every day and a team wanted to come in on Saturday and Sunday, he could fit in, what would that be, eight or nine teams? Um, but that probably doesn't seem likely. So this is kind of a selective process. This is kind of trying to figure out what teams like you. And, yeah, he said that he did this visit with the Bucks because it's high interest. Um, and he said it's high interest. And to me, I obviously struggled to figure out if that meant the Bucks have a lot of interest in him. He has a lot of interest in the Bucks. But as you said, there has to be mutual interest in there because otherwise he wouldn't be, he wouldn't have been in Milwaukee today to do a workout. So um, it is fascinating. And kind of like you said, I don't know if he can shoot. Uh, I, sometimes in these draft workouts, they let us sneak in a little bit early. I shouldn't say sneak in. They allow us in early. And we got to see the final five to ten minutes of, of Diallo shooting. And there was one time around the world and back that I thought, oh, he can really shoot it. And then there was another time around the world and back that I thought, I don't know if he can shoot it. And, and, and I think, like you said, there's just not enough out there to know whether or not he can actually play, if he can actually shoot. Um, so those are things that I guess are probably good for him strategically. I know obviously at the combine he didn't play, and after it he talked about how his handlers, in, including John Calperi, thought it was probably best for him not to play. And uh, I think to for him there is kind of the idea that, well, if you keep some more stuff mysterious, that might just mean someone's going to take a chance on you rather than them knowing, okay, this guy can't shoot. Uh, this guy can't dribble. He can't do any of these things. Uh, so so that was kind of fascinating to me. One thing I found out today that I, I didn't really know, and I Googled it a little bit and tried to figure out if I should have known this, but I didn't realize until today that uh, the Bucks uh, VP of player personnel, Dave Babcock, uh, is close with John Calipari. I had no idea. Um, apparently they worked together when Calipari was the head coach of the New Jersey Nets. Uh, and uh, today Billy McKinney said that since they work together and they're close, that anytime a Kentucky pl- they need to get a look at a Kentucky player, there's always going to be an opportunity for them to get them in. And I, I would have thought I would have known that, um, but it, it was just interesting that I didn't know that until today, which I, I guess... Calipari is always going to have very good high school prospects. Uh, They may not be as good in the league, um, but I think that's kind of the case with any any coach, any college coach that that gets great recruits. So some of them are going to work out and some of them aren't, but those are very talented players. So that's a good thing uh, that that the Bucks were able to get him in and can get him in. Uh, And then also today was the return of my favorite thing in draft workouts. I wrote this at at Brew Hoop last summer, but I absolutely love these interviews because after the workout happens, you talk to the players and my favorite questions are I kind of always who do you try to model your game after? What do you how do you see your game translating? What positions do you see yourself playing? Because I mean, if you're a prospect selling yourself, and even if you're just selling yourself to local media in whatever town, you're going to try to pick the the high side. Uh, you're going to try to pick an NBA all-star. You're going to try to pick players that are going to make you look good. You're not going to say, well, you know what? I think I might be Rashad Vaughn. Um, him and I look look very similar. And you're, you're going to go out and you're going to say, okay, I look like this guy. Um, or I can play all these positions. And, I, and I've heard from one through four. I've heard five say that the stretch fours, all those things. But immediately following, I get Billy McKinney. Uh, and Billy McKinney is a, is a straight shooter, and he's the Bucks scouting director, and he has been for a long time. And he pretty much immediately refutes any of their delusions of grandeur, um, which I adore. Uh, so today we I asked Diallo what he thought he played, and he said primarily two, but definitely play the one as well. Um, and I asked McKinney what he thought he played, and he said two more two three than anything else point guard is definitely a stretch um <laughs> which obviously makes sense but uh again i think those those answers are always interesting because again it shows you kind of how the nba guys view them but also when you're looking at a two i think with the bucks kind of the 
I think you would hope that that guy could play some one so that you could see him fit alongside Giannis because Giannis is going to take a lot of the playmaking responsibility, but you still want that guy to be able to make plays. So if a guy's just a two and only a two and can only go up to a three instead of go down to a one, maybe that limits some of the things that they can do with Giannis. So um, I thought that was interesting. Again, he, he, I think throughout this whole process, this is going to be the only time that that the Bucks see him. That's going to be the only time that I get a chance to interview him. Um, and he's got a decision to make by the 24th. I would assume after he makes that decision, he could come back to Milwaukee if he wanted to. Um, but I don't know if that that will ever happen. So I'm going to say he's someone that I've definitely – I don't know, put a put a little asterisk by, highlighted, whatever you may want to say. That is a guy that will remain on my list for someone that the Bucks may be interested um, as this goes on in the first round or maybe as a guy the Bucks may be interested in the second round. But I would say he is he is very Bucksy. Yeah, and he has a cool-sounding name, which uh, which has got to be worth something. Yeah. Um, I, think, uh, I think Gary Wolfel tweeted out uh, some names expected on Wednesday – um, your guy, Kansas State's Wesley Awundu, mm-hmm. uh, Derek, Derek White from Colorado, um, a bit of an older player, and uh, Devin Robinson from Florida, kind of a, I think like a 3-4 type guy, I want to say. Um, so again, kind of more guys. I was going to say, through. like White and Awundu are what? probably top second round to mid second round to maybe not yeah, drafted. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, there's such a range. On yeah. Some of those White, guys. Yeah. I've, I've, I think, I think I've seen white projected, um, as high as like late first, I want to say. Okay. Um, so, you know, but again, at, at this point, this stuff is so fluid and you know, it, it's so, it's so interesting to look back now. Right. I mean, if you had told us even the day before the NBA draft that, Scalabissier and uh, Deontay Davis and DeJounte Murray would all end up, you know, in the late, late 20s slash start of the second round. I mean, well, maybe one of those guys could flip, but all of them, you know, I mean, or it, it's maker just so at interesting 10. how you, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's interesting how quickly kind of we, we lock in and, and start to just assume that, you know, certain guys <laughs> are going to fit in certain slots. And, you know, so often it just doesn't end up being that way. And uh, um, White's an interesting guy. I think he was a transfer, I want to say. Um, he is a uh, Michael Lindemann client that is uh, Chris Middleton's agent uh, who also works for Excel. Um, White is is actually on Draft Express, the number one ranked senior uh player uh, in this draft uh they project him 31 uh in this draft and an interesting guy i mean more like point guard size six seven and a half wingspan six four and a half in shoes um but interesting player because 18 points a game at colorado um 57 on twos 40 percent on threes got the line a fair bit 81 percent um 4.1 rebounds 4.3 assists and then probably the most interesting thing 1.2 steals but 1.4 blocks per game from a guy who you know is obviously you know more of a a point guard type player so um so he's certainly an interesting player that that i honestly don't you know certainly did not have him on my my radar really before the draft process um but he's certainly a guy that uh that is interesting and does things that maybe your your typical uh point guard does not do so um, so certainly some interesting guys, even if they are more late first, second round type players, um, some interesting guys to keep an eye on here. Yeah. Uh, a Wondu, as you mentioned, is my guy. Um, obviously, I have some K-State connections as I was there uh, for, let's see, his freshman and sophomore year. Um, but just a 6'7 guy, 7'1 wingspan, uh, started kind of as an off-ball guy. Um, and by his senior year, he was pretty much playing point. Um, which is pretty intriguing, uh, a six-seven point guard, or at least a guy that you think could handle the ball, do some playmaking, uh, improved his corner threes as his career went on. So uh, that's that's a guy I've always kind of had a soft spot for, obviously because of my allegiances and seeing him kind of grow as a player, but also 
it just kind of makes sense to me. Uh, a six-seven wing with a seven-one wingspan, uh, he can shoot a respectable number from corner threes. He can handle the ball a little bit. That seems very much like a modern NBA player. Um, I think Draft Express has him at the end of the second round right now. Um, so you would reason that he would be around for the Bucks at 48. But again, like you said, the, it can move in any direction. Um, but it's definitely a second rounder, but uh, a guy that I've been very interested in uh, throughout this kind of entire process. So yeah, there's going to be be some more interesting names in in uh, obviously the next couple days in in the coming weeks uh, as we lead up to the draft on June 22nd so uh, just over a, a little bit over a month away so um, I think that's going to be it for us for today uh, we went longer than I suspected but that at, at some point I'm just going to stop expecting us not to go long um, and just understand that that's kind of how we roll so uh that's gonna be it for us for frank madden this has been eric name this has been locked on bucks we will talk to you another time